0: Welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. As the school year ends, planning begins. With the new school year approaching, we look to district and state leaders to decide what guidelines will be in place to keep our students and staff safe. This week, we discuss background information, possible options, and factors surrounding school opening plans with leaders in Edgecombe County as well as state leaders from the Department of Public Instruction. We now have joining us um, Dr. Beverly Emery, the Deputy State Superintendent for District Support at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction and also Jessica Swensky, who's our Sandhills Regional um, Case Manager for school support, but who also has been uh, providing a major leadership and coordination role at DPI around the COVID-19 response. So thank you again to both of you for being here.
1: Thank you. glad to be here.
0: So, Dr. Emery, if you would, um, we're getting ready to close out a school year, move into summer, and then also to begin thinking about reentry. So, talk a little bit about your thoughts around remote learning during the summertime and reentry plans for kids who have maybe been most negatively affected by being out of school so long.
1: Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, this week, the State Board of Education will uh, see and approve. Uh, guidance from the department around the legislatively funded summer jumpstart program. Districts will have flexibility with that, uh, depending on what kind of uh, scenario we find ourselves in. Obviously they can pick the timing for the summer and the period of time. And so that will be directly related to what phase of reopening we're in. They can use remote opportunities Clearly, um, as we all know, the problem in that is that some of our kids who live in the gaps have not had the best connectivity and the intent of Jumpstart was to find them and reach them. So uh, districts will be able to be creative about that. They uh, will submit plans to us um, that will address the components of the legislation. Uh, but we really aren't approving them. We are just giving them feedback on on what they're proposing to do. Uh, About 25% of those funds can be carried into a school year as long as they don't uh, supplant regular instructional time. So if there are scenarios where there is a need to uh, do before and after school or Saturday, uh, those, there, there are a designated funds there that will help them. I think we're all challenged by the, this whole notion that you started with, which is the students who have, we've had the most challenge in reaching since March 16th will also be those who need the most support and help. And so our goal at the department is how do we give districts as much support and flexibility in doing that as possible?
0: Jessica, is there anything from your regional case manager role as well as your coordination role that you'd like to add to Dr. Emery's comments?
2: Well, I think that, um, thanks again for having us. I really think that one of the most important things that we can do um, in our roles is communicate, is effectively make connections with the field. And from the outset of the pandemic and the executive orders and the, the things that were happening at the state level with public schools, we knew that we needed to create good systems of communications, just being connected to the field, hearing what the superintendents um, and their cabinet members and the principals are sharing um, has just been critically important. And to that end, we have put some very important things in place to help facilitate good communication. Uh, one of which is what Dr. Emery and Dr. Stegall do weekly, which are meetings uh, with the superintendents and the charter leaders. Um, In our in our state. So that has been a really great conduit just to keep us connected
0: You know, you've got the smallest district with less than 600 students the largest with over 160,000 What kinds of professional development kinds of things have you all done to help? um, Maybe level the playing field around professional development for remote learning.
1: And, you know, Tom, I appreciate you asking this because it does give us a chance, first and foremost, to say the the hero spirit out there is nothing short of remarkable and um, to not be prepared and no one should have been. There was not some expectation out there that you flip a switch and you're ready. Um, it has been such, I mean, the greatest silver lining, I think, of this entire piece has been watching the collective step up and take care of kids in whatever fashion that turns out to be. I do want to share our pride in literally thousands of online sessions. We partnered quickly with the Friday Institute, North Carolina Virtual Public um, to lift up because folks said, um, more than content, I need help And how is this different and what can I be doing? What are the What are the technology tools that are out there? On on the 13th of March, our digital teaching and learning office launched a website and uh, those folks didn't sleep all week preparing for, okay, how can we be ready to offer something on March 16th? Um, But the, the effort has been tremendous and we appreciate so much the partnership we've had, UNC TV, stepped up on curriculum, on training. And I think the last time we did a report out to the governor's task force, we were over some 10,000 training sessions that had been uh, offered. And many of them repeats because they had limits (laughs) on size and folks, uh, uh, you know, so many folks signed up that we had to offer additional. And I think that's gonna be key going forward. what do we learn from this and how do we, you know, keep moving towards the most robust remote learning that we can? There
0: are really kind of two big broad topics I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on. The first one is around the factors the state leadership is looking at of trying to reopen and knowing that it's a large interagency, intergovernmental at the national and state level recommendations What kinds of things are influencing guiding that decision and the process for that? And then after we talked about that, maybe some of your thoughts in particular around um, how state leaders are specifically, and local leaders are trying to address the trauma issues that students may be bringing back in.
1: We started with 12 to 14 work groups that had superintendent representation on them. And that was really crisis management. This thing happened, how do we meet needs? We have now with with the year wrapping up and us sort of giving guidance on the big issues of grading, graduation, we have rolled those into six work teams that really align to the um, efforts of the Department of Health and Human Services. And so we have really worked collaboratively with them. Our goal is that when we do um, have guidance ready, and we hope that soon, that it represents the sort of bedrock health requirements and then how do we operationalize that from a school perspective and those work groups um, are are, you know student safety and health employee safety and health policy funding legislation uh, student instruction and scheduling challenges so uh, and in each of those, Jessica has embedded communications team members so that we're able to roll out sort of clear, concise communication around them. Our teams, Tom, feed up to the superintendent's task force, the State Board of Education, Department of Human Services, and the governor's office. So the idea is that we operate in a well aligned way. and. While folks are clamoring for right. guidance um, and we're trying to do that, we also have uh, superintendent stakeholder groups that we're trying to run these things by. So the idea is, once we let this go, we only get one shot at it and we want it to right. be right. Our folks at the Department of Health and Human Services rely on us to say, ooh, that won't work for kids getting on a bus. Or right. um, yep. and that, so, th- so we've spent an enormous amount of time Uh, collaborating with all these groups.
0: How about the special needs created by trauma that we know these students, how are you addressing that at the regional state level?
2: One of the most important toolkits that so far we've been, uh, that has been released actually came out Friday. It's an SEL guidebook. Um, That is the the production of an incredible work team that consists of lots of stakeholders from the field as well. Um, We know that the social emotional needs of children and how we support them now through the summer, through reentry, how we then teach process and procedures and all those things, but how we continue to keep, be connected. Connections are the biggest theme, not only with SEL with our teaching staff, but also uh, with the field as well.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I can tell you that we're gonna wanna come back as the summer moves forward and as reentry takes place, because there's still a lot of uncertainty about the certainty and we appreciate everything you're doing more education matters will continue after this short break education matters is brought to you each week in part by town bank serving others enriching lives joining us now is abby futrell the assistant superintendent in the Edgecombe county public schools thank you miss futrell for being back with us
3: my pleasure. I always enjoy visiting.
0: It's good seeing you again, and we want to thank you and your team in Edgecombe County Public Schools for all you're doing to support the students and the staff and the parents there during this time.
3: Well, on behalf of our um, super proud superintendent and the staff of Edgecombe um, County Public Schools, we're grateful to have such an amazing team willing to do what's right for students.
0: Thank you. A lot of transition going on, trying to wind down this current unusual school year. And getting ready for summer and then hopefully re-entry sometime during the fall. August 17th is the targeted first day. Tell us about summer remote learning and the kind of special things you're trying to do, especially with students who most have been impacted by remote learning and limited bandwidth access or whatever. Okay,
3: so we're, we're trying to approach this from two standpoints. We certainly understand that there was a gapping learning learning that occurred um, due to COVID-19 and schools having to close and then us having to um, sort of regroup around how we taught students, um, but also trying to get in front of the summer slide that typically occurs over the summer in learning. So we are on the tail end of, um, we do plan to have virtual summer remote learning for students, um, and that will look Uh, differently for two populations of students. It will be completely online for students who have access to internet. And you have to remember that in Edgecombe County, we do experience um, a lot of pockets where connectivity is just not an issue. It's just not available. You know, we we have entire townships where there's no internet available. Um, And so we're looking at um, some online, online options totally remote, and then some hybrid options where we're gonna try to do some syncing with Google where you can work online, work offline, I'm sorry, and then reconnect to the server once a week and the network is transferred that way. Taking a more personal approach, so smaller courses, Teachers um, who will be teaching summer school will be going through a different type of training because that's going to look totally different. We want to make sure that we're focusing on online learning and not remote learning. So we don't wanna take what you do in the classroom and simply transfer it to online. We really want the online learning to be an a complete quality learning experience. It's going to look different than what you get in the classroom. But when, you, when you're just lecturing on a Zoom, that's remote learning and we don't wanna do that. We, we know the research around how effective that is. Um, we're looking at any community partnerships that may have some virtual options and then trying to balance that needed um, teaching and learning with some enrichment opportunities. So we're looking at facilitating some virtual book clubs and then some virtual STEM activities um, and how to balance that STEM camps. So we're really trying to make sure that we're balancing balancing those who have access and those who don't so that they can have just a robust of summer um, across the board, so to make that equitable.
0: That's great. Um, well, we know how active the Edgecombe County Public Schools have been uh, involved um, over the last few years in really creating trauma-informed schools and classrooms. And in light of the pandemic and the school closures, that's become even increasingly more important How are you thinking uh, the impact of COVID-19 and the summertime before students are back in school is gonna impact even how you try to address the trauma-informed needs of our students?
3: We have two of our schools working really closely with the public school forums, Resilience and Learning Project, um, both in-person and remote. Um, Teachers and counselors, I mean, even up until today, have worked tirelessly to make sure that we maintain contact with students. So as you know, Dr. Bridges is a a leader of heart. And so we had um, a collective document where schools reported kids that we were not able to get in touch with either by phone or they weren't checking in remotely. Um, And then we deployed the troops. So here's the list. So we had bus drivers who were delivering meals who would say, you know, I didn't see anyone at that house. It looks like they moved. We had a principal who drove around and he would drive in the driveway and blow his horn and just just wanted to see you come out. We're just checking on you, making sure you're okay. Um, and so that's part of why I love working here so much, just that balance of head and heart leadership under Dr. Bridges. Um, elementary and middle schools will be uh, remotely conducting um, PD around Sanford Harmony um, and Second Step so that we can facilitate those, that social emotional piece this summer, um, and then we also have access to a panorama community survey that we're hoping to administer so that we can gauge the needs of our students and our parents um, wow. around different needs.
0: Talk a little bit more about that parent survey. What, what kind of information will you glean from that, do you think?
3: Well, we've had some virtual um, parent focus groups, and what we learned from that is that parents are overwhelmed in this piece from many, um, many different points. So, you know, we even had a parent who said, you know, I have a device in my home. It's a lot, you know, we'd rather do the offline um, portion. So we realized that parents now have to be a part of this partnership and learning. So we can't overlook their needs and not just their needs around technology, but understanding like what we're teaching and how you can best support it, how to access those resources to support. Um, I was joking, I had a friend of mine who has a daughter in sixth grade, and she said, do you think you can help me help my daughter with her sixth grade math? I said, no, ma'am. You know, <laughs> that, I mean, it's totally different now. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm imagining what if I was a parent and that's how I felt, who do I go to? Because this teaching situation is now a partnership as, you know, they're learning from home and we're facilita- facilitating that remotely. Um, and so we're looking to see what, the, what parent needs are how they're feeling, and how we can help address some of that angst. I mean, can you imagine if you had three kids in the house, three different grade levels, and, you know, they all have assignments, like how overwhelming that is. And and so we just want to be a support network for our parents so that they can be 100% as a partner in helping us make sure that students get what they need academically.
0: I know that it is heavy on your minds and your work and your planning to be thinking about what does reentry look like going into right now what is a legislatively opening first day of school on August 17th. Um, right. Talk about how you all are managing that process. Who are you working with? Um, what kind of guidelines are you getting information and, and how is that going?
3: Everyone's at the table. Uh, three times per week as we're trying to figure out what re-entry looks like. Um, we don't know what phase we'll be in by August, but trying to be proactive around planning, we're, we're thinking about things like how will we be able to enforce social distancing with fidelity. Um, when we're looking at Uh, possibly some hybrid models. So an alpha and omega schedule, you know, will kids come in the morning and some in the afternoon, Will we have an A day, B day, where students come on, um, some students come on A day, some come on B day. Um, Should we be taking a look at which courses could be facilitated online? Uh, For example, we worry about our K2 population, you know, like there's some foundational reading Um, that needs to be done, some foundations of reading that need to be done, and you can't necessarily conduct that um, online. So we're looking at that. Um, Infrastructure issues is a huge, huge concern for us. Um, The inequity around the digital divide, specifically in Edgecombe, and areas that look like Edgecombe. Um, and, And to even deepen that, it affects our teaching population. Like we have some teachers who struggle with either no internet, little to no internet access or consistent internet access. So what will that look like? Um, we're looking at community partnerships, right? We don't have a YMCA like some of the larger areas have. So um, we have great relationships with our community. So how can they support us in that? Uh, what is this gonna do to our budget? So if you're thinking about in terms of transportation and social distancing, I mean, are you talking about, you know, 14 to 20 kids per bus? Um, Our maintenance director looked at sanitation costs, just just supplies alone, the costs were astronomical. So how will that work? So a lot of questions that we're trying to jump in front of with little to no certainty around what's going to happen, Um, but having everyone at the table, that inclusive model has been key because you have different aspects coming to the table so that we make sure no stone is left unturned.
0: Yeah. How about a final thought from you to your teachers there in Edgecombe County as they enter into the summer?
3: I just want to say thank you. Um, They have jumped in. We've had two um, virtual PD conferences of sort called ECPS Leads that our technology department did a phenomenal time facilitating. And teachers were on in the hundreds. We had sessions that had over 150 teachers. It was not mandated. We just sort of wanted to provide them the learning. I wish there was another word bigger than thank you. So I'm going to say, mercy, gracias. <laughs> because the, my heart is so full at how they've jumped in to help us stay in touch with our kids, teach our kids, and committed to being continued learners. Thank you, Edgecombe County Public School teachers and staff.
0: And we want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your insights. We'll be back in touch, okay? Stay stay safe and thank you so much.
3: You too, thank you so much for having me.
0: Bye-bye, bye-bye. Next up is this week's final word. Once again tonight, as we've done for nearly three months, Education Matters focused on several key issues related to the coronavirus and its ongoing impact on the kindergarten through 12th grade public schools across North Carolina. Tonight's final word comes at a time unlike any other in my educational career. Don't get me wrong, since becoming a beginning teacher in 1975 and throughout my years of service as a school administrator, there have been plenty of situations and circumstances that were intense, challenging, and stressful both personally and professionally. Each of you can reflect on many similar such situations you faced in your own lives. COVID-19 and its continuing health impact on millions of people, the large number of families and friends having lost a loved one, the economic impact through job losses, and in education, the shift to remote learning have all elevated the visibility and reality of the inequities throughout our educational, economic, health, social, and political systems. Our public schools are truly the primary place where all of our community's unique attributes and values convene in a common purpose, to prepare our students to be successful lifelong learners and productive citizens. Our children do not create the conditions and circumstances in which they grow up. Their community is created for them by their leaders in the larger system. As our nation continues to wrestle with the most recent unjust killings of unarmed citizens and the pain, trauma, and large-scale unrest stemming from racial injustice in this country, we must ask ourselves, what do we want our children to learn from this crisis, and how do we want them to act towards one another? From an early age, they are watching and listening to every move and action of the adults in their lives and taking their cues on where and how they fit into our society as young adults. Character education is far less influenced by what we tell our children than what they hear in our words and see in our actions. This is especially true in times of crisis like the one we face today. Decades of data make it clear that racial and social inequities exist in all facets of our society, resulting in communities of color being systematically excluded from resources and opportunities. The most marginalized members of our society need and deserve the most support by those in positions of power and who can lead positive structural change to make the greatest difference. In this crisis, the voices of a new generation of leaders and learners are emerging who have the courage, the knowledge, the tools, and a passion for positive change to move this still imperfect union to its greatest heights. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.